and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kervin. It's been another week of global news, and that means we have another podcast episode with all of the intelligence insights that you're looking for. But before we get into those geopolitical insights, we did have a tiny little announcement to make. Episodes in July will actually be released on Saturdays as opposed to our typical Friday posting due to scheduling conflicts. So keep it lookout. Don't be surprised if on Friday we're not in your queue. <laughs> but we yeah. will be on Saturday. Also, we want to remind you that This Week Explained has a monthly interview series called Insightful Inquiries, which has given us the opportunity to sit down and talk to lots of amazing people, experts in their career fields and secret agents and yeah. stuff like that. It's been really, really cool. So those episodes can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, especially this one. It's all tied to ours, right? <laughs> yes, it is tied to ours. And I've debated back and forth on separating it. But, you know, there's already enough junk out there. <laughs> that yeah, there's a lot adding... of podcasts and sub-podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you subscribe to this and you listen here, you're not going to miss an episode because you're going to know that it's coming up. Like like Tiana just said, there's we've had some great guests in the past. I can't even imagine. And, and the friendships that we've actually made with people through... Right through this podcast it's been awesome i'm working to clean up some of the audio like uh the yeah that did not it's not up to the quality that that person deserved so i want to clean those up and and resubmit those you gotta start somewhere so it's and and you know they all understand and they're very they're very gracious and and continuing to talk to us and giving us tips and advice the next few guests are going to be, I probably say this all the time, but they, these guests are going to be so amazing. We are a global podcast, and that is really going to show with the next few guests that we have coming this summer. So you're not going to divulge who these people are yet? Is it it's a surprise? It's No, I mean, it's not a, it's not a surprise. We are going to have a Swedish professor of intelligence who has done some amazing research on intelligence analysis defeating cancer, and I'm really excited about that. And then after yeah. that... We're going to have a good friend of the podcast back in Cole from Alcon Intel. Mm -hmm. And he is working on creating an intelligence chatbot and having AI become an intelligence analyst. He's going to talk us through what he's been doing in that regard. So very interesting. Well, let's get started, though. We have a lot to get to this week. What's on your radar? Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before we get to the rundown, I wanted to, to highlight... A question we got on Spotify, we told people to go on Spotify, give us comments, questions, and we did have somebody reach out and ask a question. So first, I want to say thank you for sending the question our way through the Spotify app. I won't name names because I didn't get any permission to use their name, and I'm not going to do that to them. If you do have a question and you want your name used, you can say that explicitly, and we'll we'll let people know who you are. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But this person's question was, you know, how do we know Russia blew up the Kokovka Dam? 
since it caused more damage to the Russian military and Russia-speaking areas of Ukraine? It's a great question, and the simple answer is we don't know definitively, and if we did make it sound like we knew for a fact who was behind it, I do want to offer a sincere apology to, to that person. That's not what we were trying to do. What we have is various forms of F evidence that kind of logically point to Russia, but we don't know who actually did it. I feel like we stated that several times, though. We could have. I, I don't remember. Yeah. So, you know, for some people, I guess it did sound like we were only on one side of the conversation. So okay. I'm saying now. Yeah. Well, what evidence do we have? So we'll start with the fact that Russia actually controls the dam. It's in Ukraine, but it's controlled by Russian forces. Mm -hmm. uh, and they said that Ukraine sent a rocket and hit the dam to explode it. And there's been zero image or video evidence that a rocket from Ukraine struck the dam to cause that much damage. There's been zero evidence that Ukraine sent a rocket to strike the dam. Mm -hmm. So then we go and we try to, to piece out other evidence. So there's evidence from a drone image on May 28th, which was nine days before the explosion. That's a photograph of this roofless car that, was, that could be laden with explosives parked at the top of the Kokovka Dam. So that image shows it's a white car. I looked at it. The roof's cut open. Inside are a few large barrels, one of which did have a what appears to be a landmine attached to the lid. Then a cable runs from the barrel towards the side of the river, which is held by Russian forces. So that's, that's one part. Also, the New York Times actually has a really good timeline of the event done by five or six different analysts uh, that they have credited. And I'm going to link all of that in the show notes for everybody to go see and formulate your own opinion of what you think may have happened based on the facts that were there. I, I want to reiterate again, we don't have definitive proof that either side sabotaged the dam. It could have been the United States for all we know. We just don't know that. But if, if we're working with the information we have access to, it does appear more likely that Russia dis destroyed that portion of the dam and then kind of made a miscalculation in doing so. Okay, well, <clears throat> thank you for that clarification. And please keep the questions and comments coming. Yes. Now let's get into what is actually on your radar, please. Right, so we'll keep talking Russia-Ukraine and then talk about latest on U.S.-China relations and where they stand after Secretary of State Blinken made his trip to Beijing. Then we'll focus on China and Cuba deciding to create a joint military training facility in Cuba. We have India's prime minister who traveled to the United States to shore up relations with India and the United States. Talk about North Korea's illicit cyber activities. North Korea's in the news again. And we'll finish in Djibouti, who's caught between the two superpowers of today, the U.S. and China. So what is the latest coming out of Ukraine? Well, it seems that Ukrainian forces conducted operations in at least two sectors this week in the war. They continue offensive operations on the border between Zaporizhia and Donetsk, as well as the western portion of Zaporizhia. Uh, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense, their eastern grouping of forces actually has repelled four Ukrainian assaults in Zaporizhia and also an assault in western Donetsk. It seems kind of like the, the situation is escalating yeah. now that the nuclear weapons from Russia have officially made it to Belarus. What can we expect over the next few months? 
I don't think we should worry about the use of nuclear weapons in the next few months. With an election coming up, it would be, in my opinion, an egregious miscalculation by Putin to utilize any type of nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Yes, it's true that the longer this war drags on, the more outspoken the Russian people will be. But I don't think that's going to hurt Putin's chances of re-election. Uh, in 2017, he received about just under 77% of the vote. And at this point in the election cycle, that doesn't look to be changing. Well, it's still, you know, worrying to see the conflict escalating like this. Yeah. Like usual, we will have to keep a close eye on this situation and see how it develops. There was also an intelligence report out of Ukraine that Russia is planning an attack on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Do you have any details on that? Yeah, only that it's a Ukrainian intelligence report. President Zelensky made a comment on it. And the sabotage of the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia has been reported for almost a year now. It is probably one of the top worries from Ukraine is that would lead to a nuclear disaster, not just for that area, but it could bleed over to Germany, to Poland. It could. It absolutely would. Oh, yeah. Now, as the reporting is classified, we do not broadcast any classified information on this podcast. I haven't seen any of the reports. It remains only in an intelligence assessment. And so, as I continue to say, only time will tell if Russia actually carries out an attack on that plant. Well, as we wait for more information to come out of there, let's move to China, where we had quite a week. <laughs> Was there an improvement in relations after Blinken's visit? Yeah, so, you know, so let's start with Secretary of State Antony Blinken, because... I mean, it sounds like it was more productive than I anticipated. I thought there would be hard lines drawn all around, but it seems like they were actually willing to communicate. Yeah, and then Joe Biden's music played, and Joe we had a... Yeah, he stepped into the ring, and we had a deterioration of... so Goodwill? <laughs> yeah, so... So Blinken made some comments, and it ruffled a few feathers in the United States. Okay. Okay. His comments did. And then, you know, we didn't want Blinken to be outdone, so President Biden made comments that ruffled the feathers of the CCP, oh, which, the right, Chinese Communist right. Party. Okay. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. <laughs> did Blinken say? So during a public engagement, he reiterated the U.S. policy towards Taiwan, that the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence, while also reiterating that the U.S. will defend Taiwan against aggressive actions. I don't understand how they don't support Taiwan independence, but they're still going to protect Taiwan against aggressive actions. So, yeah, so that's just what's called strategic, strategic. Yeah, you got it. What is that? Well, what is it? Strategic ambiguity. So it's based on the theory that it's best to keep all parties guessing okay. whether in, okay. you know, whether the U.S. military will intervene, at what extent they will intervene in a war across the Taiwan Strait. That's all that means. Okay. The U.S. has never formally supported Taiwan's independence. So for me, Blinken's comments do not come as a surprise, but it was a surprise for other people. Okay, so what did President Biden say that was in contrast <laughs> to what the Secretary of State announced publicly? Yeah, so it's and not. <laughs> yeah, this it's oh man, it's it wasn't like it's not a contrast to what Blinken was saying. It was you know you know the President Biden off the cuff statement, much like a Trump off the cuff statement. 
you can't control it as a yeah (laughs) and it's it's something that any president should know better but we seem to be getting these new presidents in that don't understand this so i don't think it has anything to do with him being a new president who doesn't understand things i think it has everything to do with the fact that he's an older gentleman older gentleman yeah that's a nice way to put it yes well i'm sure everybody's wondering well what what did he say what has got Kervin laughing so much well what he said wasn't really funny so i don't know why i'm laughing but he did tell a crowd at a california fundraiser that Xi had been blindsided by the spy balloon that was shot down over the u.s earlier this year and he said that when dictators don't know what's going on it becomes embarrassing and it's the dictator part that has the CCP upset, correct? I, I think it's the whole thing. They're upset about everything. And who wouldn't be? They were just waiting for yeah. somebody to say something to tick them off. And why even make that remark on presidency? I mean, I... I, I no Especially during such a pivotal visit being made. Why would you distract from... Lincoln's diplomacy visit. I don't understand. Yeah, and I think it's because he was at a campaign event, so he thought it was private only to donors in California. Nothing um, is private with the internet. Yes. Cell phones. So if he, when I said they were upset about the whole thing, that's not even all that he said. He told donors not to worry about China. Then he kind of, as he does sometimes, went and flip-flopped on it. He was like, don't worry about China. Well, worry about China, but don't worry about China. So then I was confused, and I had to stop listening. Yeah. Now, senior U.S. officials have walked back the statement, and I'm sure that they've had a meeting with Biden to reiterate, you know, you cannot go off the cuff like this. This is not who you are. Not even at a private, putting up quotes here, private fundraising event, because like Tiana said, Nothing is private these days with the internet. Oh, well, let's stick to the talk of China. A couple weeks ago, we discussed China's surveillance plans on the island of Cuba. And this week, we have been told that China and Cuba plan a joint military training facility. What do you know about this endeavor? Well, all we know right now is both countries are discussing what kind of training would take place at a joint facility and what the leadership structure would look like. Would it be Chinese leadership over everything or Cuban military leadership. I can't say that the fact that China and Cuba are in active talks about this facility, which would be about 100 miles from the United States, is certainly concerning, no matter what type of training they'd be doing. Yeah, and the fact that the Biden administration recently admitted that China had a spy base in Cuba since at least 2019, that only adds to the concern. Yeah, and and listen, it's clear that China is trying to enhance its presence in Cuba, The United States is going to need to continue to disrupt that. It's a delicate situation, but we do need not just us and our listeners who are keeping a close eye on it, but the United States government and the allies. Well, and in keeping a close eye on this situation, I guess it is prudent to talk about U.S. relations with a country on the border of China. This week, the Indian prime minister was welcomed to the United States. What is going on there? Is the U.S. attempting to gain favor with a country on China's border that could lead to a military base there, possibly? Yeah, so 
just like you said, the U.S. and India have been, we've talked about this before, they've been strengthening their relationship in recent years. What's funny is India's prime minister was once barred from entering the United States for things that he has said. He is known as a far-right candidate. And now he has made a visit to the U.S. So this is a very significant event. The, the U.S. sees India as a crucial partner in the Indo-Pacific region. It needs India's influence to counterbalance China's growing influence. India has actually not publicly embraced the tag of being a counterbalance to China, but Indian governments have seen the U.S. relationship as helpful because they're dealing with issues with China on the border. I could say right now it's, I haven't seen anything, and it's unclear if the U.S. could actually build a military base in India or who that would benefit if they did. But the two countries have been increasing their defense cooperation. So that's a that's a big thing. If they were talking about a joint military base, they would have to keep ramping up that cooperation. The U.S. sees this as an opportunity to increase its share of India's defense imports, uh, as well as exporting our own equipment there. And so the reason this is a big thing is because Russia has played a huge part in imports, in defense imports into India. How do you think China would react to a joint military deal between India and the U.S.? So China is likely to view a joint military deal between the between India and the U.S. as a threat to its strategic interests in the region, just like the U.S. sees with the China-Cuba joint military base. Already, China's expressed concerns about what's known as the Quad. That includes India, the U.S., Japan, and Australia, those four countries. China sees that as an attempt to contain its growing influence. It is, so they're right about that. China's also been involved in a border dispute with India that we've discussed before. This has led to an increase in tensions between the two countries. So any move by India to deepen its military ties with the U.S. is likely going to be seen as a provocation by China, and that could result in more aggressive stance by Beijing. Well, we've been talking about China for a while during this episode, but there is another country in Asia that is also making headlines all year long. North Korea launched multiple test missiles. They launched a spy satellite, although that endeavor failed during the first attempt. And now the U.S. announced this week enhancements to its cybersecurity programs, mentioning North Korea as one of the key reasons to increase funding on cyber programs. Are we seeing even more aggressive actions from North Korea, or is this just a reaction after years of North Korean engagements? Yeah, North. it's a great question, because North Korea has a long history of provocative behavior. We've talked about it a, a, a lot on this podcast. The recent actions that have been going on through this year are consistent with its past behavior. So the U.S. has been increasing its focus on cybersecurity in recent years, and like you said, that's due to the growing threat posed by countries like North Korea, who do cyber attacks against U.S. targets. But it also mentioned in the report where China, Russia, and Iran are also adversaries they're looking at. They're looking at. So the U.S.'s announcement of enhancements to cybersecurity programs with a focus on its main adversaries is a response to the growing threat posed by multiple countries' cyber capabilities. That's, that's the answer to that question. Okay. Overall, I will say it does appear that North Korea's recent actions are part of a larger pattern of more aggressive behavior. And the U.S. and its allies do need to remain vigilant in the face of the North Korean threat. 
Has there been an increase in cyber? Yeah, I've certainly noticed an uptick in attacks on various U.S. entities, not just from North Korea, but there, there have been a lot of alerts for places like Amazon, Verizon, Facebook, you know, companies that are just mainly associated with online services being hit by cyber attacks. Like like Amazon went out this yeah. week, didn't it? Was that a yep. cyber attack? Oh, so <laughs> splendid. We didn't... We didn't get our mushroom brain gummies in time. We did not. We had to reorder, but then we got them. Our lion's mane guys. Yeah, that was so rude. <laughs> Thanks a lot, whoever attacked Amazon. Anyways, what is North Korea attempting to do with its cyber program? North Korea is turning to illicit cyber activities to steal funds to, you know, pay for things. And they also want to steal technical knowledge to further military aspirations and improve its nuclear program. Great. More nuclear talk. Let's move away from the continent of Asia and talk briefly about a country that you happen to have spent some time in. How are things changing for the U.S. and China in Djibouti? Well, I think I've talked about this a lot, too. China's been increasing its presence on the continent of Africa, but in Djibouti as well for a while now. It opened its first overseas military base in Djibouti in 2017 which was a few months before I left Djibouti the last time I was there, and I, I saw it being built up while I was driving around. Now, Djibouti is the lone African nation that holds an official and permanent U.S. military base, Camp Limon. Obviously, this move has raised concerns among U.S. officials about China's growing influence in the region and its potential impact on U.S. interests in Africa. But despite the potential for competition between the U.S. and China and Djibouti, there have been some efforts to find areas of cooperation. In 2019, the U.S. and China actually participated in a joint military exercise with other countries within Djibouti to improve coordination on issues like counterterrorism and piracy. Except overall, the U.S. and China's presence in Djibouti remains a source of heavy tension between those two countries. And Djibouti is now caught in the middle of this power struggle between the two nations. How is that affecting their domestic and foreign policy? Well, it would start by, you know, highlighting that Djibouti is a, a small country and 23% of the population lives in extreme poverty. None of this back and forth between the U.S. and China is going to help that. It's not helping it now. It's not going to help it in the future. Neither country is really doing much to help economically in that country, which is the most important thing. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. But, like we mentioned in 2019, both countries are helping to quell terrorist activity that bleeds over from nearby Somalia. Because... That's... Yes, nice. so there is some help there. There's some security issues that are being helped. Because of this military presence in Djibouti, Djibouti remains, a, for its location, a relatively safe country for its citizens. Those terrorist attacks are not bleeding over into their country. But the fact of the matter is the power struggle between the U.S. and China could have a very negative impact, first on the economy of Djibouti and on the security situation in that country. Tell us about it. Well, the entire U.S. mission in Djibouti is counterterrorism. That's all they're worried about. So any deviation from that could give a terror group like al-Shabaab in Somalia an opportunity to increase its presence in the region. China and the U.S. will be less inclined to improve infrastructure within the country while they participate in what's known as sort of a, a gray zone conflict. 
And what is a gray zone conflict? Well, gray zone activities, and, and Cole does a lot of talk about gray zone activities and what you know China and New Zealand go through. But it refers to actions taken by countries that kind of fall below the threshold of conventional warfare. There's no, no one's dying, no one's getting shot at. But they're still designed to a, achieve sort of strategic objectives. They're often carried out in a way that makes it difficult for the target country to respond effectively. Um, and some of the examples, because I'm sure that's what's going through your head right now. Give me some examples, man. Come on. Those activities are things like cyber attacks, propaganda campaigns, sometimes do economic coercion. And then what what like Russia does or or some other countries will support proxy forces against another country. I'll, I'll end up by saying that one of the key characteristics of gray zone activities is that they are often ambiguous, that you, so you don't know where it's coming from. And so they can be difficult to attribute to like a specific country or a specific sort of intelligence actor. So how do you see the U.S. and China performing these activities in Djibouti? Though? I mean, first, it's going to be there's going to be cyber attacks. That's going to happen on the ba- on the different bases. But China's also very adept in using disinformation campaigns. I can see a scenario where the Chinese military uses disinformation to kind of, you know, sow the seeds of discontent against U.S. troops on the continent. That would cause Djibouti to rethink its policy of holding a permanent U.S. military base within the borders of the country. And that's going to deteriorate counterterror operations. It could also cause a lot of harm to the population of Djibouti. If that happens... A follow-on to that, if you're, if we follow what happened in West Africa, theoretically Russia could then step in to replace U.S. troops, like we we said in Mali and Burkina Faso, and then they would be the counter the terror force for the country of Djibouti and for East Africa. All right. Well, thank you for that insight. Do you have anything else? For us That's all I've got. Unless you have anything you want to talk about. Mm, oh, okay. <laughs> That's about it. But anyways, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.